in three, in two, in one. Hi everybody, Tim Anderson here, the appraiser's advocate, and welcome to the podcast. We call this one more on misleading, especially the definition. Lately, I've been spending a lot of time considering the concept of misleading. As you know, as of January 1st, 2020, USPAP has a definition of misleading, something it never had before. While I personally do not like this definition, that's not what's important. What's important is that appraisers understand how state boards look at the concept of misleading as well as the penalties those boards impose when they conclude the appraiser has misled the client or the intended users. First, we need to consider USPAP's definition of misleading, which is, quote, intentionally or unintentionally misrepresenting, misstating, or concealing relevant facts or conclusions, unquote. As far as I'm concerned, the issue is not that USPAP now has a definition of misleading. The problem, as I see it, is that USPAP's definition of misleading has absolutely no wiggle room relative to how a state board is going to interpret this definition. In other words, a simple typo could, under the most horrible of situations, be considered misleading. Even if the appraiser had no intent to mislead, that does not mitigate in the appraiser's favor, however. This definition is extremely binary, extremely black and white. Since the enforcement of USPAP is neither uniform nor standard across the states, state boards will have the responsibility and privilege of interpreting this definition. They will also have the responsibility and privilege of concluding how an appraiser comported him or herself in relationship to it. In other words, if somebody's having a bad air day, that could prove disastrous for the appraiser. Now, for some other information you may not be aware of. When it comes to misleading, this applies only to Standard 2, USPAP's reporting standard. In other words, it is not possible to mislead a client or intended user with an appraisal. It's only possible to mislead the client or the intended user with the appraisal report itself. Thus, the report is misleading, not the appraisal. Rather, the appraisal itself must be credible, which means, in a USPAP context, worthy of belief. A word search of the current USPAP document showed 136 occurrences of the words mislead or misleading. There are 32 such references in the FAQs alone. Note that some of these references to misleading were in the context of fraud, a criminal act. This is not the place to go into what constitutes fraud, therefore we won't. However, I raise the issue so that you'll be aware of the fact that the concept of fraud, a criminal act, lurks in USPAP's definition of misleading. Note further the use of the term intentionally or unintentionally. This sentence construction converts any act of misleading the client or the intended users into an act of choice on the appraiser's part. In other words, the appraiser chooses to mislead the client since, by this definition, the appraiser cannot simply make an error. Note that what this does is turn a simple mistake on the appraiser's part into a violation of appraisal ethics. State boards look at ethics violations in a much brighter, harsher light than they do when it comes to mere technical violations. Therefore, even a minor error on the part of the appraiser elevates that minor error to an ethics violation. 
these are subject to some of the most severe sanctions from state boards. Speaking of state boards, we're going to take a look at some state appraisal board decisions relative to the concept of misleading. Please understand these decisions took place before the current definition of misleading was in USPAP. While we are going to discuss this concept from the public record, we are not going to discuss anybody's name. There's no reason to embarrass them again. Further, the citation of a specific case from the state's appraisal board does not imply the board was right. Rather, I'm merely citing the public record. All state appraisal board decisions are subject to judicial review by a court of competent jurisdiction. Such a court can overrule a state ruling. I have not done the investigation to determine if any of the decisions I cite in this podcast were judicially overturned. The first decision comes from the state of New Mexico. This happens to be case number 3113-10-30 from a final decision and order showing conclusions of law. There were numerous such conclusions in the report. However, only number 8 is pertinent here. This is a direct quote from that decision. Respondents' lack of support for site adjustments and the large age and condition adjustments resulted in a misleading appraisal. A preponderance of evidence in the record demonstrates the respondents' reports were not clear and were misleading. By the way, respondent means the appraiser. It's important to understand the basis on which the state of New Mexico made this decision. We are not going to talk about New Mexico state statute. However, we are going to talk about the pertinent aspects of USPAP. Turn to Standards Rule 2-3, the certification standard. I'm going to read directly from the USPAP document so it's clear. Quote, I certify that, to the best of my knowledge and belief, the statements of fact contained in this report are true and correct, and my analyses, opinions, and conclusions were developed, and this report has been prepared in conformity with the uniform standards of professional appraisal practice. Unquote. Therefore, this language is congruent with the language of Standards Rule 1-4. This states, quote, the appraiser must collect, verify, and analyze all information necessary for credible assignment results. In other words, the sales price of a comparable property is not the appraiser's opinion. It's an established fact. Because the appraiser verifies the sales price with the buyer, seller, broker, title company, builder, whatever, the appraiser knows the price is a fact. But because adjustments are supposed to come directly out of the market, those too are facts to be found, not opinions to be formed. Therefore, in the offending appraisal report, the New Mexico appraiser certified that the adjustments in the appraisal report were market-based. Yet, as the board's decision shows, the preponderance of the evidence disagreed with the appraiser. It was this preponderance of market evidence that convinced the New Mexico board to conclude the appraiser had written a misleading report. Here is another case from the New Mexico board. This is case number 1309-03-31A, if you want to look it up. It's from a document called The Final Decision and Order from the section entitled Conclusions of Law. This is what Conclusion of Law number 5 showed. Again, this is a quote. The administrative prosecutor proved by a preponderance of the evidence that the respondents' reports were not clear, not accurate, and were misleading due to the significant errors and omissions, carelessness, lack of knowledge and understanding in developing adjustments, and the lack of support for other adjustments combined with significant adjustment errors to the comparable sales. 
Due to all of these errors and omissions, the conclusions of the respondent in the appraisal report are misleading and lack credibility. Unquote. In other words, the New Mexico board nailed the appraiser for violating both standards 1 and 2, which is a violation of everything important. It's true that we have not considered every issue these two New Mexico state board decisions considered. We have concentrated on what the state board concluded was misleading. In both instances, the board concluded the appraiser's adjustments were misleading, thus the report was misleading, thus by extension the appraisal lacked credibility. Let's examine why the board decided these two particular appraisal reports were misleading. Both of these decisions mention a lack of clarity, thus the report is misleading. This lack of clarity is likely a function of the fact the appraiser's analysis of the market, and especially its reporting, failed to lead the client and the intended user where the facts actually went. It's also possible the analysis and reporting in the appraisal report led the client and the intended users to where the facts and the evidence did not go. Finally, it's possible that the appraiser's interpretation of the market evidence and the appraiser's reporting of that market evidence led the client and the intended users nowhere at all. From these decisions, the pattern that emerges is that this lack of leadership, this lack of understanding and execution relative to basic adjustments, the appraiser's certification to the contrary, is what the state board found to be misleading. A decision from the Alabama board supports this model of the pattern we found in the two New Mexico decisions. In other words, the appraiser is demonstrating not only a lack of leadership, but as well a lack of understanding and execution relative to basic adjustments. This is case AB 15-33 from a document called the Disciplinary Report. Quote, Respondent violated USPAP by communicating a misleading appraisal report which derived the value of two separate parcels by assigning a value to the acreage consisting of the combination of the two parcels, obtaining a per acre value based on the value of the whole, and then multiplying the per acre price by the number of acres in each parcel instead of assigning a value to each parcel separately by reference to appropriate data and support of an appropriate analysis of such data." Unquote. Listen to the reasoning behind the Alabama board. In its case, B18-03, this is a separate case from what we just heard. This is a quote from the disciplinary report. Quote, Licensees' use of sales that would not be considered by the same market participants, making adjustments to the comparable sales which had no support from the marketplace, basing site value on tax values, and not being able to explain where the estimate of physical depreciation came from make this appraisal report misleading. The wording of the state's decision is clear and convincing. Again, the pattern we found from the New Mexico decisions holds this entire conclusion, especially the last part about not being able to explain where the estimate of physical depreciation came from, indicates that the appraiser misled the client and the intended users. This was by failing to lead them anywhere. It is the appraiser's commission to lead the client and intended users from the very general and possibly very confusing quantity of market data out there at the beginning of the assignment to the narrow precision of the final value conclusion. Further, that commission also is to chronicle that journey in the appraisal report in a non-misleading manner. 
This appraiser misled the client and the intended user by certifying the statements of fact in the report were true and correct when they were not. Then, this appraiser misled the client and the intended users when he or she indicated the appraisal had been prepared and the report written in accordance with USPAP. According to the board's decision, this too was clearly not true for the reasons the board cited. So, to recap, that I think USPAP's new definition of misleading is too draconian, even too Machiavellian, is irrelevant. What's important, however, is how appraisers comport themselves professionally relative to this new definition. The state board decisions we've covered here clearly indicate that to state the appraiser understands the adjustment and the adjustment derivation process when that is not true. Yet to certify that understanding and truth is clearly misleading. In these decisions, these two state boards concluded the appraiser chose to certify the appraisal and report were completed in compliance with USPAP when one or both of those was not true. That choice the appraiser freely made elevated these charges from mere technical violations into a full-blown ethical violation. With USPAP's new definition of misleading, the problem is that mere typos could be elevated to ethical violations. For example, assume there were five comparable sales in the neighborhood in the last 12 months. Further, assume that via total inadvertence, you entered the numeral 50 instead of the numeral 5 on that line. This was a simple typo. However, under this new definition, the state board could, not will, but could, see this as misleading, thus as an ethical violation rather than a technical violation. Granted, not catching that error does demonstrate a lack of proper due diligence. However, demonstrating a lack of due diligence, especially when it was inadvertent, should not ascend to the level of an ethics violation. That's the problem with this new definition. If you agree with me, get in touch with the Appraisal Foundation and share your conclusions. Please, do this in a respectful and professional manner. Any snarkiness in your response will cause that response to lose credibility in the eyes of the Foundation's members. Remember, you are trying to change their minds, not insult them. If you are a member of an appraisal organization or participate in a state appraisal coalition, get in touch with those folks, let them know how you feel, and volunteer to work on this issue with them. If I'm wrong, get in touch with me and tell me why. I may be wrong. Just ask my wife. Now, a quick shout out to Brian Reynolds and his very informative weekly podcast, The Appraisal Report, which I recommend highly. You may not know this, but Brian was really sick with a COVID virus. Fortunately, he has gotten better. He's back in the saddle. He's back on the air through Appraiser eLearning. He's a personal friend, and I'm glad it all worked out for him. So, again, this is Tim Anderson, the Appraiser's Advocate. I'm here to help you whenever that becomes necessary. You can get in touch with me through my website. Contact me at tim at theappraisersadvocate.com. It will be a pleasure to hear from you. It will be an honor to work with you, and I look forward to it. My best to you, my best to your family. Please, be safe and well. Thank you. And we're clear.